From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Everybody to another edition of Goal Own Goal. Joining me, as always, the human own goal himself, Roger Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, that's true, but I'm not sure whether it's a human goal or a human own, own goal. I think Some we days, both know what it is, Roger. Some days you feel, <laughs> I think we both uh, know yeah, what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it's an own goal. I think it's an own goal, and, and I'm feeling more and more challenged in that whole area every day. Grant, I think the world is going mad. Yeah, well, you're, I think not, you're the world not wrong. Is going, you're not wrong, Rog. You're not wrong. The world is going mad. Yeah, and listen, how, how are you? How are you? Because you've been on your travels, I and I know you've been super busy. And um, your 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 output is is everywhere. It's getting more and more recognition. You know, where are you in this crazy world of ours at this moment, Grant? Uh, What's in your head? Tell me. Bewitched, bothered, and bewildered, as the old song goes, Rog. I think is the uh, best way to describe it. Look, the world is the world is mad. The world is the world yeah. is generally yeah. always mad, but sometimes it gets madder, and then you can't ignore it. I think we all try and ignore the madness where we can, but. Um, it's getting it's getting past that point, but I had a I had a cracking time in uh, in Australia to uh, see my daughter, hi Bronte, if you're listening. Had a fantastic time with her, hanging out down there and finding Australia largely as I left it, which was a relief. I thought it might be still a bit uh, police statey, which is what social media would suggest, but I didn't find anything of the sort. I caught COVID down there in Melbourne, ironically, of all the places in the world to catch it. <laughs> so I had a week had a week flat out with COVID, which. Um, Actually, it wasn't too bad. It didn't really. I, I had spent a week in isolation, but I was only crook for a couple of days. So, yeah, good, good stuff. And now I'm, I'm back on in, in the upper hemisphere and and back to work, Rog. Back to work. Well, talking about madness and and, and you know uh, the last two goal on goals we've done, and we do need to do more of these. It's just really important. The last two we've done, we talked about the wider world, and it went down well. And I'm not going to ask you about Ukraine and microfinance and everything today. I'm going to ask you about one of your arch villains in life. Now, I'm not talking about a Bond <laughs> villain. I'm not, no, no, I'm not talking about a Bond villain or or Spectre no, or anything I know like that. What you're going to ask me, uh, <laughs> right? What do you feel about Elon and Twitter? I want you wow. to like give us the whole the whole nine yards because I'm not just about the reaction for today. You have to lead into this. Who is Elon Musk? Why do people not realize who he is and what is he doing now? You need to take us through the whole nine yards. <sighs> you, you really want to ruin my Saturday morning, do you? Or Friday morning? Why <laughs> day is right? Look, um, <laughs> the news this week that Elon Musk is making a bid for Twitter. It didn't come as a great shock to me, to be honest, after he announced that the stake he'd bought last week. Him wanting to be the owner of Twitter, given his narcissistic personality, doesn't surprise me in the slightest. I suspect, given his track record, that this is all happening as a distraction from something else which has yet to reveal itself. Um, He has a habit of, and does a very good job of, I have to say, commanding the news cycle around negative events in Tesla by tweeting something out that has a similar subject and it just buries the news under all the coverage that his tweets get. So, you know, he's come out and bid $54.20 again, childishly doing Four, this 420 yeah, thing. To his, you know, yeah. it, it, I mean, it's it's pathetic, frankly, Roger. It really is. He's, a, he's what's known as a grown-ass man in some places and, you know, he's just trying to be so cool to all the cool kids. And So he's come out and bid $54.20 for Twitter and is getting into everybody's grill on Twitter about how the board have a fiduciary duty to accept his bid, which is utter nonsense. You know, they have a fiduciary duty, absolutely. Is his bid in the best interest of shareholders? Hard to say. It's a higher price than it's currently trading, but if that's the, the only simplistic barometer you use, then yes, but there's a lot more to it than that. You know, he's advocating free speech, but the internet is littered with victims of Elon Musk yes. trying to suppress what they've had to say about Tesla and the company. And, um, you know, it, it's unfortunately Musk is a master at the social media and uh, 
cultivating his own narrative. And he's done a phenomenal job at that. If you, if you scratch the surface and you look into him and you look into some of the things he's done, and importantly, in suppressing free speech, a very, very different character emerges. And, um, you know, I've, I've followed him closely for a number of years now, really brought to it purely by the overvaluation of the stock and trying to understand why the stock was so overvalued. And once you go down that rabbit hole, you find yourself confronting the real Elon Musk versus the, the, the Tony Stark superhero he would have you believe, and also his many acolytes would have you believe. The truth is, is definitely somewhat different. There was a story published by Russ Mitchell in the LA Times, a phenomenal journalist who, who has had his run-ins with Musk because he refuses to be silenced and is happy to print what he believes to be the truth about Tesla's use of Twitter bots to drive the narrative and the stock price. That article came out a couple of days before the bid was made. Um, and it's a very damning article talking about how Tesla uses Twitter bots to, to pump up its stock price. You know, if you, if you go back a little further, you'll find Musk's declaration of his stake in Tesla. He filed the necessary paperwork 10 days later than he was legally bound to. Some estimates may say that that made him a profit of $146 million in terms of when he reported it versus when he should have reported it. And he has a long-standing track record of, of thumbing his nose at the SEC, who have barred him from being director of Tesla, who have made all kinds of stipulations around his use of Twitter, which he's flagrantly ignored and contravened almost from day one. He's on record in 60 Minutes in the US saying he does not respect the SEC. He's tweeted that SEC is an acronym that stands for uh, yeah. Suck Elon Something. <laughs> Um, yeah. You know, he's he's a man-child who is determined to to be cool, is determined to create a figure around himself that that has a cultish air to it. And look, he's succeeded in many ways. But um, two things: I suspect this bid will fail. Uh, if it succeeded, how he would finance it would likely be to um, use his Tesla shares as collateral or sell his Tesla shares which if you have a, a, an intimate working knowledge of the company, to see him sell billions of dollars of Tesla shares recently, again, under a very clever ruse about paying tax and um, asking followers on Twitter whether he should sell them or not. And ultimately yeah, they yeah, said, yeah. yes, so he did it. You know, as I say, he's a master of the narrative. He really is. You have to tip your hat to him. But uh, as I say, I suspect this bid will fail and um, it will be turned down by the board. Then another spat will start. And I say all of this, I suspect, will cover a far more negative story about him. There are rumours uh, swirling around about investigations into his stock trading by the Department of Justice and the SEC. I suspect at some point the SEC is going to be taunted just enough to throw the book at him. I hope so. But it's just... Um, if it wasn't him, Rog, I, I, yeah, on, on, on the one hand, Twitter has been suppressing free speech lately. Yeah. Egregiously yeah. in many cases. And so were it to fall into less woke hands and just be a platform for free speech and let people be their own arbiters of what they deem to be acceptable or not and just block the people that they disagree with, I mean, it's perfectly simple. You know, no one's forcing you to read anybody's comments. If you find someone disagreeable... Block them, don't follow them. It's very, very straightforward. So this free speech aspect is important. But one of the last people in the world who should have the free speech of Twitter in their hands is one Elon Musk, unfortunately. So it remains to be seen what happens. My guess is that there is a lot more to this than a simple bid for Twitter. This is You saw how much of the headlines he's generated in the last couple of days. I mean, my, my own Twitter feed is lit up with stuff about yeah. Musk and Twitter. Pay attention. Pay attention to other stories coming out about Elon Musk in the next couple of weeks because I suspect there will be some hugely negative stories coming out that this will mask. Well, look, thank you, Grant. So when you say something, I agree with all of that. So when you say he's covering something up, um, from my point of view, uh, that means something along the lines of, as you said before, the valuation of Tesla um, on any basis of valuation, even the most, uh, even the most, let's say, modern growth uh, type valuation metrics, is insane. 
It is truly insane. Unless you think that he is going to end up mining nickel, zinc and gold from asteroids, um, it doesn't make any sense. Now, he has... Um, tricked people into believing in, you know, the premium for future genius uh, visionary. Uh, and, but you can only do that so long. Uh, the rest of the EV world, um, the other serious manufacturers have caught up with them. They all have products that are superior to Tesla. And I think that is objectively seen in the market. The Tesla promised a functionality around self-driving to name just one, but other things like the Cybertruck and other big announcements he's made have all uh, been proven to be uh, uh, smoking mirrors. And the, the, the truth is coming for Elon Musk in terms of the absurd valuation of Tesla. And we, all of us, hope that that comes sooner rather than later. Um, but I want to ask you this about Twitter. Um, and I'm, I'm taking it into the sporting world now. And what I would call the role of Twitter for sport and for other people. You know, um, I've got my own list of, of people uh, in the sports biz world that I follow on Twitter. I've made my own lists. I get enormous value out of Twitter, both as a recipient of knowledge from the people I follow and I guess some people get some value about following me. I tend to think, Grant, that if somebody like Elon Musk takes hold of Twitter, that all the serious people, and I'm not so much talking about myself, but I'm talking about your community, the really serious guys, they won't have a lot of choice but to maybe do something dramatic and say, we're not going to live by his rules, we're not going to promote his platform. What will your own attitude be? Well, look, I've seen an awful lot of people pouting and saying, if Elon Musk buys Twitter, I'm leaving, which I understand. I totally understand the sentiment. But, I, you know, I agree. Twitter is a tremendous resource. And so let's see. If he does buy it, I say I doubt it'll happen. If he does buy it, let's see. Let's see what he does with it. I, I'm not going to say, oh, on, on a point of principle, I'm leaving because Elon Musk owns it. Not at all. But if he makes the kind of changes... I think I will, that, Grant. I think I will. No, look, which is which is fine, Roger, which is fine. But look, he is not going to buy it day one and it will change day two. It's not going to happen, right? It remains to be seen if he buys it. And again, I, I, I don't think it'll happen. I could be completely wrong, but I don't think it will. I, I'm not going to cut off my nose to spite my face. There's nobody who uh, thinks less of the man than me, I don't think. Uh, I could probably name a few. Um, but there's very <laughs> yeah, there few are. who think less of him than me. But, but, what about the, what the guy in the cave... And Tyler, <laughs> I think yeah, he thinks exactly less right. than you do. <laughs> I think he does, yeah. yeah. Uh, what's his name? Vern. You know, if, if he does make changes that make it unusable or unpalatable to me, I'll, I'll, I'll walk. I have no problem with that. But I'm not going to, on a point of principle, cut off my nose to spite my face and lose access to all the brilliant minds that I have access to over the years just because. I mean, it's just, it would be foolish of me. As I said, if he makes changes that I disagree with and does shutter free speech and does some of the things that people are worried he might, then yeah, I'll absolutely have no problem leaving Roger. But I'm not just going to do it because Elon owns it now. I'm going to take my ball and go home. I just, I just think that's a, that's a foolish short-term reaction, to be honest. <laughs> well, that, well, that's me all over, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> a fool no, exactly and right. short-termist. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Exactly right. Anyway, listen. Let's let's talk about some goals. Right? Yeah, well, yeah, you must yeah, have some yeah, goals yeah, yeah. for me this week, right? I've got I've got a goal, and I've uh, it's a goal that I'm very proud to talk about. Um, this is a sport we've been covering since the early days, since season one of Drive to Survive, our first season, um, the return of Ferrari, um, which uh, I've enjoyed immensely this year. First of all, um, aesthetically, the car that they've put on the track is beautiful. Is it's what is worthy of the Uffizi Gallery, um, and for that reason alone, they should just give them the constructors uh, a championship, <laughs> b because cars are meant to be beautiful. Like Enzo Ferrari said, if you ask a child to draw a car, it will always be red, and even in that, they have found a version of red that, for some reason, is magical. Uh, so I was already up for this season when I saw the car. And then, of course, the, the testing, you saw that they were competitive this year. Um, and, you know, they've proven it um, in the first three races. And, and you know, there's a sensation that 
But at least from my point of view, that Ferrari is back and the 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 force is again once in balance, once again in balance. You know, I, I don't know if you know this, Grant, but I spent two years of my life living in Modena, which is just beside Ferrari. You know, the yeah. town of Ferrari Maranello is in the is in the council, the the region of Modena. So I I, I lived in in the heart of Ferrari land for two years as a, as a relatively young man and. Um, it's not about sport there. This isn't a sport thing for, for th this is about an explanation of a raison d'etre for an entire community of people that they consider themselves. Uh, if you think about all the cars that come from around there, Lamborghini, everything like that, they consider themselves the beating heart and the living soul of motor car high engineering. It is rightful in my opinion that Ferrari wins and it has the most beautiful car others won't agree with this right but that is my point of view i Grant, i remember a time when I, I was in those two years in modena i went to this restaurant once uh, it's called da lauro lauro's place um quite famous in modena and in there you go in and, and on the wall they've got the full scale actual chassis of old ferraris nailed to the wall <laughs> right. i mean it's like full scale it's like and like pictures everywhere and obviously pictures of him with all the great stars and and like you know you go in there and <laughs> one of my talents in life don't have many but one of them is i'm pretty good at getting on people's wavelengths to make my life easier so you know, this guy comes up and i'm new to modern and i'm just blown away by this whole restaurant and um guy comes up and it is lauro because of course it is it's his restaurant he's going to be yeah. there it's, he's going to be there. It's not going to be anybody else. And, uh, you know, he comes up and, you know, welcome to Lauro. You know, here's the menu. And I said, oh, no, I think it's one of these places they don't have a menu. He just reads it out. And I said, um, Senor Lauro, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here and, and you, know, you know what I'm feeling? I think it's a real tragedy that Jim Clark and Enzo Ferrari never worked together. You should have seen his face, Grant. You should have seen his face sat down for the whole lunch with us, you know, chatting about this, chatting about that. Why am I telling this story? Because this is the universe once again in balance. And, you know, okay, they might not get it to the end of the season. Mercedes may come back. The porpoising and all the bouncing might get, you know, at the end of the day might, I don't know. But in this moment in time, there is only one goal this week, and it's Ferrari. Well, I... No, I, I I don't take it quite as seriously as you, obviously, because I don't have that connection to Italy. <laughs> but look, it, it's a beautiful car, and Ferrari is such an evocative name with such history, Roger. And, and, it, and it is. It's fantastic to see them back competitive again, right? It, it's, it's not the same when they're just also rants. Um, no. You know, and this, this season has started in, in cracking fashion. Uh, it's good to see Mercedes down the field and struggling, right? They've been so dominant for such a long time now. It's good to see them struggling, and it'll be interesting to see if they can work it out. You know, they've got two tremendous drivers in Russell and Hamilton, obviously. Yeah. Um, so they have all the talent there. Can they get the car right? What a great subplot. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think we've talked about this on Goal on Goal, but um, that, that most recent season of Drive to Survive, uh, I watched that when it came out, and um, I got to say, Rog, I was given the season that they had, given the drama that we saw last season in F1, I thought Drive to Survive failed miserably this season. It, it was fun to watch and everything, and it built and built and built towards the end, but the one thing that was noticeable was there was no interviews with Verstappen through the way he, he kind of said he wasn't yeah. going to take part, which we didn't know until he doesn't afterwards. Like them. Yeah. So he was out. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about how they kind of made Lando Norris look like a dick. I, I don't right. think they. I don't think they really did, to be honest. Make him look like a dick. I, 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 I see why in the aftermath why people would say that, but I, that's not the impression I got. Um, but that that final race and the drama we had uh, with the safety car and stuff, it came and went, and and I'm sure it came and went for a reason that the you know FIA refused to talk about it, and yeah, Michael well Massey said. refused to talk. Whatever it may be. But it was such a damp squib. You know, I was expecting to see the reactions, to see what happened, to get a sense of the drama that was involved around it. And it just 
Nothing. They didn't even have text at the end, Rog, talking about what had happened and how it had all been worked out. It was just a big, it was a huge damn squib and a massive, I think, black eye for the Drive to Survive series. I, I think that that was a shock to me. You know, and we, we now we've got, I think it's Amazon are doing the PGA Tour series. Um, you know, they're miking up all the players on the PGA Tour. And that now, I think, is going to be really special because it's it's all people there's no teams now it's all down to individuals this is going to be um an expose on the people the personalities and the players you're going to get the you know the pga tour officials i'm sure are going to come into it but i'm really looking forward to this pga tour uh, i thought you didn't like this tour. making up thing the match and all that i thought you were all kind of no, but this, oh, is, no, this, this is, is no, no but this is Rog, this is this is the regular tour right they're going to have they've you've seen them they've got little mics on their caps that captures the stuff. You know I'm in favour. You know I love this stuff. You know I'm in favour of this. But I thought yeah, you no, I, didn't I, but like I think it. the PGA Tour thing, without the, the team aspect, it's, it's all going to be down to the personalities. And it's going to be, I think, really interesting to see the personalities of golfers. Because, look, a lot of them come across as robots. And when they're in those uh, interviews post-round, they all come across as pretty robotic. There's a few on there that you feel have got a bit of character to them. I suspect there are going to be a lot of pleasant surprises in terms of the humor and the character and the and the personalities that these golfers have. So I'm kind of very disappointed to drive survive Roger. And I'm I'm kind of on the outs with that a bit now. We'll see what happens this season, but I'm kind of my my interest peaked with this season, I suspect. Um and I'm now looking forward to the PGA Tour equivalent, which I think will be great. Yeah, I now know what I can get you the next time we meet and I'll give you a little greeting. I think they still have these things, but the first time I went to a Grand Prix, you know how Rafael used to run the Marlborough account for Philip Morris, so I got to see a lot of Grand Prix. And the first one I went to, she took me to, was Monte Carlo. And the thing, the whole thing blows you away. You know, first of all, the noise, you will not believe yeah. it. It literally, you know, it's just unbelievable. So there's a lot of, um, you know, stalls and people selling things like just like at football stadia, you know, there's a lot of people on the outside selling stuff. So I'm nosy, I'm nosing and out around and, you know, there's this stall where I saw this guy buying what was a, a cassette. We're in the days of cassettes, right? A long time ago, a, a cassette and, and, you know, I don't think he paid someone like the equivalent of 10 euros or something like that. It was Lire or not Franks, it would have been at the time. I don't know. Yeah, it was before the euro, before the euro. Um Franks and um so I was curious and I says to the guy, I said, um, what's on the tape, mate? What's on the tape? And he looked at me as if I was some kind of like, you know, Neanderthal, you know, like what, what? he said, it's the gear changes. I, I said, What? He said, um, they sell tapes of the Ferrari gear changes. <laughs> and like like you, I said, What so, so what do you do with that? He said, what do you mean? What do I do with it? I go in and I put it in my tape player in my car. And when I'm driving, it's going, nyeh, nyeh. <laughs> these are the Ferraristi. These are the Ferraristi. <laughs> and, and like everybody else, fucking McLaren, Lotus, you know, the Stroll, they don't get it. This is a religion for Ferrari. This guy probably has got the MP3 version of the gear changes. Yeah, and, he, and, and he's probably every... driving a, a, a Fiat 500. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> anyway, anyway, talking about golf, um, I'm not, let's go, let's talk about a little bit. What did you hear around there about what's happening with uh, Norman, with the Breakaway Tour? You know, you're in Augusta, Georgia, you know, the most traditional of traditional. What was the vibe? What, give us an idea about what's going to happen in golf, Grant. Uh, look, hard to see. I mean, it, it, there was no talk about that during the Masters. And, and interestingly enough, Norman was interviewed after that and said, you know, we did, we, we respected the Masters and we didn't want to be competing with it. So we, you know, we, we basically shut the hell up and They've started talking about it this week. Um, yeah, the Masters, it's one of the best sporting events in the world. There's, there's no two ways about it. Everything about that tournament is pristine. The, the, the course is, is, you have to see it to believe it. No matter what you think you know about it from seeing it on TV, it, nothing does it justice. But there's, there's something about it that you, you don't see a piece of trash. You don't hear anyone yelling out, 
mashed potato or you the man, all this inane crap that you don't, American right. golf crowds come out with. There's nothing. You know, you, you don't run on the grounds. There's no one running to do anything. Everyone's – it's just it's – a, it's a beautiful way to watch the best players in the world play on arguably the most picturesque golf course in the world. It, it's a, now, the only thing this year I would say is that on the Sunday, Scheffler was so good uh, and so dominant that it lacked the drama that you – yeah. get every year at the Masters. Yeah, there, were, there were cheers when Rory was on his run and I, and I, you know, I watched Rory for a few holes and it was just magical to watch. And I know we're going to talk about Rory. I was thinking well, about maybe you not. the whole time, the whole time maybe, I watched him. Um, only if you and, forced uh, me. So, so, you, you know, so you heard the, the roars for eagles and you heard the roars for birdies, but there was a little something missing. You know, Tiger played early on Sunday with huge galleries yeah. um, and, you know, it was, it was amazing to see him. He was struggling big time on Sunday, quite rightly so. I mean, it's a hell of a walk. And, and for him to have walked that four competitive rounds and you know, two nine-hole practice rounds is, is Herculean, frankly, and he was really, really struggling. But, you know, kudos to him for not withdrawing. Once he, once he was out of contention, lesser men would have withdrawn, right? And he didn't. He stuck it out to the end. It was, it was incredible to see Making him. Making the cut, impressive. amazing. Making the cut, Making the cut was amazing. But, but after that third round when he was, there was no way he was going to win, yeah, As I say, know, lesser I men would point. have withdrawn. He was obviously in a, in a significant yeah. amount of pain, but so it, it, it's magical, Roger. It really is magical. Um, but but I want but I want I do want to talk about Rory because, as I say, I I I followed him and Morikawa, uh, two just wonderful, wonderful golfers. Beautiful swings, yes. great control, yes. and they were both playing brilliantly. You know, sixty-seven for Morikawa, sixty-four for Rory, just wonderful. And that double holding out of bunker shots on the eighteenth. Now, I sadly walked away from the 18th green about five minutes before that happened. So I missed it, uh, unfortunately. Um, not that I would have seen much of it from where I was sitting because there were so many people jumping up and down in front of me. But, um, you know, Rory was magnificent on Sunday. Absolutely magnificent, Roger. It was as good as the game can be played. And all I could think of, damn you, was your voice in my head talking about how when the pressure's off, he can do this. And, and look, the evidence is there to say you're absolutely right, right? Another major where, you know, he, he didn't have a disastrous first round. He just, he didn't do anything special until Sunday when the pressure was off. And when that pressure was off, um, he was magnificent. I mean, just magnificent. And, and there was something, but what I wanted to talk to you about, there was, there was something yeah. in his demeanour at the end of that yeah. round. Um that I hadn't seen before. You know, he, he was, he said that when he hold that bunker shot on 18, it was the happiest he's been on a golf course. I've and you got could this see written it, down here. Yeah, you could see it in his reaction. He, it was just, he was a young kid again, playing golf and having the time of his life. And look, whether that frees him up, whether that feeling frees him up to play his best golf or not, I, I don't know. I'd love to hope it would do that because it, there's nothing finer in the game than watching him play like he did on Sunday. But I'm, I'm, I, was, I was thinking about you the whole time, and I'm very curious to, to, to know your thoughts on, on that final well, Grant, round. Well, Grant, you, you, you set me up to become a really nasty guy here. No, no, and, no, and, not and at all. you know I'm... Not at all. No, you, no, because... You set yourself I, I, up for that ages I, I, ago, Rog. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> but you're making me speak about this, um, and I don't really want to because it sounds nasty. No, but you're consistent, um, though. You're, and, this is why I, I wanted to hear of you. You've been very I, consistent about well, this. Well, my... Well, I'm very, very consistent about this. Um, first thing I would say, Grant, let's talk about the Sunday. Oh, wasn't he wonderful? Look how he can play plays like an angel. You know how many fairways he hit, Grant? Uh, no, I know. I've, fo I've, I've followed him around. Right, okay, right. So he gets himself, and he also had 22 putts, so he had what you call everything you touch around the game goes in day. If you analyse that round... It went like this. He hit, I think, 11 greens in regulation. Um, when he gets himself into back into the race after the 13th, he's got four drives to hit after that. 14, 15, 17, and 18. He missed the fairway in every single one. Every single one. Right. Um, something that then becomes forgotten because he flukes in the, the bunker shot. That's a fluke. It's like, great, yeah, it, 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 it would have down in two, but it, going in is a fluke, and it hides everything else. And then 
you get the comment, which I wrote it down here. It was number seven here. I didn't think we would get to it. I wasn't going to bring it up. I was the happiest I've ever felt on a golf course. This for me is a pair, a pair trade with the stuff he came out with after the Ryder Cup. I've never felt so happy with these these lads. This is what it's all about. Grant, this is a guy intellectualizing the fact that he's never going to win again. He's intellectualizing the fact. And, and you just put it under the heading, show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. He's becoming an exceptionally good loser. Grant, I, that, that sounds awful, but that is as cold and as clean as you're going to get as an analysis. When he got back in the tournament, he missed four fairways out of four. That's the bottom line. Well, let me let me let me, let me throw another stat at you, Roger. Until uh, for the first three rounds, he was leading greens in regulation by a mile, and he was whatever six back, seven back of Scheffler because his putter was stone cold. Yeah, he, he played well. He played well the whole tournament. He did play well. Um, and look, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think you're a mean guy at all. I, I hear what you say, and you've said this consistently for the longest time now. You know, we, we, I recognise my role as the dreamer of the two of us, and you as the pragmatist. I totally recognise <laughs> that. And I do, you know, as I say, when you see him, when you see someone who can do what he can do with a golf ball, you want him to win, and you know he can win, and you know yeah. that the difference. It's between thing. his ears. You, no, no, absolutely. But he's yeah. working with Bob Rotella now, who is a phenomenal sports uh, psychologist. And I, look, I don't know. I, you, what, I take your point about that whole thing about the happiest he's felt in the golf course. I, I totally take that point. But I don't know. There was something in his demeanor to me that was different. I agreed with you in the Ryder Cup. I saw that. I saw what you were talking about. I didn't see it here. There was, there was a genuine sparkle in his eyes about what had happened. And a genuine, I don't know, I just got the feeling that having shot 64, which is the best round he's ever shot at Augusta, I just got the feeling that he, it gave him a bit of a, I can shoot 64 around here. And it's the one he wants, right? It, this is the one he wants. And that's why the pressure's on him at Augusta, because this gives him this gives him a place on the Mount Rushmore golf, right, where the other guys have completed the career grand yes. slam. Um, and so this is the one he wants. If I suspect if he could win Augusta, he'd win three more majors. I really do. I think this is the one. That, oh yeah, he's got all the talent in the world and the experience yeah. now. And, and I, but I, I he's say, putting I just himself saw, mentally. Yeah, uh. I just saw something this time, our post round, that said to me, "Next time I come back here, I'm going to be in a better frame of mind." We'll see. I mean, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Roger, we'll we'll see. I'd love you to know, see. You know, like it. I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to change my prediction that I, know I made you're not. four years ago, which, se I know you're not. which seemed everybody said, don't be ridiculous. It's now looking more than odds on. Um, but every time he comes out with this happy, clappy stuff after another <laughs> disappointment, I, I'm just thinking he, his head is telling him, you don't need to win, Rory. You don't need to win, Rory. It's okay. You're happy. You're in a good place. That's what his head's <laughs> telling him, man. And if he's right. got a psychologist that he's paying, he sh he's taking his money off him for, and he's robbing him, <laughs> he should stop. He should come to me. Come to me, Rory. We'll, we'll go around by the back streets of Glasgow and we'll talk about winning. Okay. I'll meet, I'll let you meet uh, Alec Ferguson. Well, listen, let, let's, let, let's talk about... The back streets of Glasgow, Roger. One of my goals this week is um, is European football. The last, the last. Oh phase no! Oh of no! European you're not football. going to. You're not going. To, oh, you know where I'm going. You're not going to mate. come back to Rangers. I want to talk about the potential, the potential Europa League final between West Ham and Rangers. We'll get to the Champions League in a minute because it was a fantastic week yeah, for yeah, Champions yeah. League football. It was. It was. But the was. Europa League, you know, to see Barcelona get done, uh, to see West Ham get through, to see Rangers there, I'm just. I've just been smirking all week thinking of West Ham Rangers in the, in the Europa League final and what your views would be if if Rangers, uh, the, sorry, the new Rangers uh, were, to win, new <laughs> were Rangers. to win the Europa League. Did I not say that? The last time I was very magnanimous, the last time I you said it's, it's an amazing achievement. Yeah, no, amazing. you did. So you like, did. I'm not going to change that. I'm not going to change that. Um, uh, yes, I, I agree with you. You know, Barcelona... Um, the fact that 30,000 I Trent Frankfurt France were there when they only meant to have 5,000 tickets. Lovely, absolutely lovely. Uh, West Ham, proper, proper club. Not a big fan of Moyes, but you've got to take your hat off to him there. Uh, I don't know if you saw the picture of the captain of West Ham. Uh, I think Noble. it's Noble, isn't it? Yeah, Mark Noble, yeah. Right, he's... he's yeah, he's there's a picture of him sweeping up and cleaning up the dressing room at the end 
He didn't need to do no, that. I, didn't and see I don't that. know whether it was posed or not. It's just a beautiful picture. I really hope it wasn't posed because, but he doesn't strike me as the guy that would post no. something. So I have a huge amount of respect for West Ham. Always have, you know, that always have. If they do get to the final, those are two tasty sets of fans especially, you know, on a busman's holiday. You know, I don't know <laughs> yeah. where the final has been. I don't know where the final's been played, mate. But, you know, get that double overtime uh, planning in now because those lads, they're not going to mess about before, during and after the game. That's all I'll say. Hang on. This is, Jimmy, this is, this is, you're, for, you're, this is for the edit. I'm going to find out where the final's been played. <laughs> Hang on. Let's <laughs> uh, a look. Where? You've got to be kidding me. That can't be right. No, hang on, that's not Tell right. me. 14th, for conference league, what the fuck's that? Hang on. It's that it's other Diddy tournament below the Europa League. Yeah, but I'm just, I didn't know that was still going. Hold on. Jimmy, don't cut any of this out. This is ideal. <laughs> hang on, hang on. <laughs> you can't, you've got to be. Oh, Okay. Okay, right. So the, the final is in Seville. I thought it was in Tirana, Albania, for a minute there, Rog, which which was disaster. <laughs> but because um, I think the the police in Tirana, oh, that's Albania, even are a bit tasty as well. So yeah, Seville. So Seville. Seville well, let, yeah. let, let's put that in context. Celtic got to the the final of the Europa League in Seville and took 70,000 people there and then were awarded with the FIFA Fair Play Award because 70,000 people behaved impeccably as they took over Seville. It's a beautiful town. Um, sadly, if Rangers and West Ham are in that town uh, in a final, um, I'll write your headline now, mate. It's the Intercity Firm. And yeah, no, I, no, I, no, I hear you. I hear it's you. kicking I mean, off huge. Yeah, I think, if, sadly, I think you're right. It's, it, yeah, it's, look, it, it, it could be an all UK final, it could be an all German final, but it's just, uh, as I say, it's been a wonderful week uh, of football. Because, because the Germany UK final would be nice and tranquil anyway. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you know, like both West Ham and, and Rangers fans sing the, the Dam Buster song. They've got yeah. a whole thing going there. These are, yeah. these are two very particular sets of fans. Nicely, 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 nicely qualified there, Ross. Particular sets of fans. I like that. Well, let's talk about, <laughs> let's, let's talk about the Champions League as well, because it was, again, it was a fantastic uh, week of Champions League football. I mean, that, that Chelsea Real Madrid game, just epic. Well, um, I, I had that down. Um, it was an epic game, but what I want to ha have down here is, is a little bit of a, a meander around the start of Real Madrid's season. And that can only be one Karim Benzema. Benzema. Yeah. Who he, he he literally I mean like as as a footballing comment a, an astonishing season and certainly will be nominated for the Ballon d'Or and and may very well win it certainly if Real Madrid go the whole way and he will be lauded he will be lauded in a world where everybody seems to have an opinion about who, what's moral and what's not moral these days outrage right left and center every time I open up Twitter about Qatar. Um, super leagues um, every, all over the place do we want to remind ourselves about who Karim Benzema is I just want to get this early in an early mate you know um, because it, it, there's a, a couple of other ones I'm going to link to afterwards but honestly you know like um, quite recently uh, less than six months ago Benzema was actually found guilty of the blackmailing uh, Valbuena with the sex tape Oh, that's you know, right. Yeah. Uh, are you familiar with this story? I, I, I remember it, yeah. I, I'd forgotten it, actually, but I remember it now. Right, so here's the cliff notes of Karim Benzema. Um, stated openly at the start of the career that he was really an Algerian, but was playing for the French national team because he wanted to win stuff. Made that very clear. And then I think was quite famous for not singing the, the Marseillaise before the games. Uh, so already not my kind of guy. Then about 10 years ago, a wee bit more, he was involved with three other members of the, the, the French national team in the prostitute ring that had many uh, underage young girls. And uh, that case was ultimately dropped against Benzema and the other famous one was Ribéry for lack of sufficient evidence that the pair knew the prostitutes were underaged. But the fact is, He's in that kind of like, that's given an idea of his morals. And then, of course, he kicks it up a couple of notches in 2015, where his teammate, Valbuena, 
um, obviously not a genius in his own right because um, he asks the genius bar to um, transfer the phone from the contents from an old phone to a new phone and, and the contents include sex tapes with his girlfriend. This gets into the hands of the wrong people, as you would expect it would. These wrong people, coincidentally, it seems being um, old mates of Karim Benzema uh, and Karim, uh, according to him, uh, inserts himself as a, a good faith negotiator to try and get his teammate out of all kinds of difficulties. Sadly, uh, there was a sting operation in place and all the, the, the phones were being tapped and he was very clearly saying things like, um, the, the guy's not going to play ball, we've not scared him enough, we've got to do other stuff. All of this is in the public domain, by the way. He was banned for five years for playing for the French national team and that just seems to have for being forgotten about and, and he was brought back into the team uh, I think um, in 2020 when he was brought back in um, you would think after all of this a little bit of humility a little bit of thinking keep my head down keep my nose clean no um, he goes on an Instagram live stream and refers uh, to his teammate Giroud uh, who today is playing in AC Milan and has had a pretty decent career, you have to say, how dare you compare me to Giro? Um, it's like comparing karting with Formula One. That was what he said on a live Instagram stream. And as I say, right up to date, he's now been convicted of that conspiracy. He's been found guilty. He will appeal, of course. But I'm just getting this in early. If and when he wins the Ballon d'Or, which he has every right to win as a footballer, all these people that seem to be on Twitter every day with moral outrage right, left and centre, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you to see what you're going to say when he gets all those plaudits. But what a great header though, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> No, well, yeah, it's funny. You're right, right? I mean, it's it's that that's it in a nutshell, right? And we've talked about this before. That's all we've the fans care about. about. This. We've that's talked about this before. Exactly right. We've talked about it before. You know um, that what they care about is football, and on these these sins are forgotten. Now, if he hadn't been scoring 38, 40 odd goals this season. All that stuff would, well, have been, would have been thrown at him by the fans, right? There'd be chance, there'd be all sorts. But but obviously, um, but I, I, you know, I, I thought, I mean, obviously I joke about the header comment in case anyone thinks I'm serious. No, it was but a the, great um, head. I was a great header. It was a great header. But I thought the the, the flick pass from Vinicius Jr., Vinicius, I remember that, it's a hard C or a soft C. That little flick with the outside of his boot was just poetry. <laughs> Absolute poetry. A bit, because you're not going to mention Modric? Modric pass? Oh, uh, yeah, okay, all right, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, well, it, it was just, it was yeah, a great game of football. You're right. I, I gave Chelsea precisely zero chance of getting that result, overturning that 3-1 de deficit. I just thought, Chelsea, with all that's going on around them, there's no chance they're going to win 3-1 at the Bernabeu. Um, yeah, and the other the other game wasn't any less, um, you know, Atletico, uh, uh, just a classic, classic team and the and the the way old footballers, I think, Grant, you know, the fighting, the the the, the 70s football we grew up with. No, do you know, molded in Simeone's image, Ross. Let's face it, is what they are. But that's a good thing, no? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Well, <laughs> listen, you know, let's look at let's think about Atletico a little bit. Atletico have always been the 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 idiot child of Madrid football. They, they always have been. <laughs> Right. You know, you know. The, can you say that these still these days? Are you still allowed to say that? Um, I think uh, the run, the the run of the litter, something like that, right? The litter of being too. Um, you know, the Real are Franco's team. They got the Galacticos. They've always had uh, ten Champions Leagues, everything like that. Atletico have always been the the, the poor relatives. So this guy Simeone comes in, and you know, he takes them into major competitors. You know, they've won La Liga, they've got very close to winning the Champions League and they've found a way of playing and a whole approach that, as you say, mirrors him, but mirrors that what they have to be. I think it's the best example I can think of, of a football club being on brand. I, I think everything works perfectly and you saw that at the end of the game with the fans. 
they were happy with the, with the punch up at the end. That was, they were right up for that. They didn't mind getting eliminated. They had gotten beat. They got beaten with honor. And, and, you know, I thought that's great. That's just perfect. <laughs> See, I was happy. Th- this is this is this is someone who's a fan of Italian football and the cynicism that it's it's replete. With oh yeah, us. yeah, exactly right. I mean, <laughs> for, for me, I just watched that and just thought, you know, there's there's no place for that. It, it, it's just oh, I, come I mean, on, I, there's I, no place listen, for that. No, I, listen, don't get me wrong. I, I I accept what you're saying about what Simeone has done for that club. I totally get it. Right, I I absolutely agree with that. But when I see a team that is getting beaten is playing a superior team and they resort to those kind of things, Rog? I, I don't know. I, I can't I can't see that as part of the beautiful but what game are they like meant do. to do? Just say you're better man. just say you're better than me, I'll let you get through. What are they meant to do? They've got to rumble it up. All right. We disagree on this. No, yes, I mean, it's fine. It's no, fine. See, you can, but, it's the cynical, it's the hair pulling and it's all that sh- stuff, Rog. That's the stuff. The hair pulling is fucking Jack Greeley. She's got a Gucci deal. Of course you're gonna pull his hair. <laughs> I mean, like, right. He's got now, a Gucci deal. I mean, for, like, I, for those of you, for those of you listening, one of us grew up in Glasgow and one of us grew up in Kent. See if you can guess which is which. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm really serious about. But listen, look at that. What was the name of that defender that ultimately gets sent off? The yeah, one that uh, had, um, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, Pedro or something like that. What was his name? Leone or something? I, I can't, can't remember. Think. No, I think he. I think you're you know, the guy who wrote the music for the spaghetti westerns. Pedro Leone. <laughs> that was Morricone, but yeah, good, good, good. No, what, what I'm saying is that second tackle, the second tackle on Foden on the sideline. Yeah. See that second, the second kick. Yeah. You know, like you've gone in with the first leg and then you, you come through with the yeah. second kick. That, that's a work, that's a work of art. <laughs> not, not many people can do that. You know, like, because your, your eye naturally has stopped looking because, you know, the, the first tackle <laughs> yeah. is a foul. It's the second one. Boom. You know, like, you've got Rog, to admire that. Yeah, and- listen, <laughs> in every sense of the word, you're talking gobbles. <laughs> there is no doubt about it. Well, listen, well, that's fine. Let's, let's leave the dark no, arts before- to one side. Leave the dark arts to one side. And uh, I'll stay on football for okay. a minute for another goal, which was, and I'm sure you saw this, the Liverpool-Man City game. That 2-2 draw. Yes. Which was, see, that to me is Superb everything, game. everything that I want to watch in a football match. It was incredible talent, speed, precision, quality, respect. It was, it was just a wonderful advert for the beautiful game. Uh, you know, Klopp and Guardiola's embrace at the end was, you know, it was, a, it was a heartfelt, we've seen something special here. No, it wasn't. No, I thought it wasn't. So. I thought it was. <laughs> they hit each it other. Was, no, exactly. So look at that embrace again. For two guys that have antipathy towards each other, that game that they both just watched, it I was think a great game. It was a, it was a genuine, was a great respectful embrace because they'd just seen two incredible teams play a fantastic game of football. You couldn't help but get caught up in the beauty of that game, Rog. Right. Well, yeah, you're right. Uh, before I want to comment on that, I want to say something. Football isn't one thing that one product's beautiful and others don't work. You know, I want to mention a, a tweet I saw from um, Ollie Slipper, who's going to come on the show soon. Uh, Ollie Slipper, who founded Perform and is one of the, the real stars of the sports industry and certainly sports biz. He's going to come on and talk to us. But Ollie Slipper, you know, uh, he said something along the lines of, you know, these fanny commentators, oh, this is the last thing we want to see around a game of football. And and him or somebody, he caught, reposted somebody else's quote, said, that's not true. This is exactly what we want to see around a football field. So the point is there's two different types of enjoyment. And the way I consider it is the acid test. Does the incident or the game get you off your seat? Does it move arses off seats? That's the acid test. Now, uh, the Atletico, you know, punch up at the end and that, the, you know, the fantastic fouling and the hair pulling, arse off seat, no doubt. That's a, that's a tick for me. A huge tick. <laughs> uh, huge fucking tick. Now, this other game was beauty. You know, like it was uh, it was like a, a, a fight between Hearns and Sugar Ray Leonard as opposed to the other one between, you know, two sluggers and it was ugly but, you know, brutally attracting and compelling. This was about two, two world-class teams, probably the two best teams in the world just now. Both coaches have taken the game forward significantly. 
Uh, however, even in that game, there is the, the 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 what you call the Gorbos language. I don't know whether you saw the tweet from Liam Gallagher, um, because there was a couple of <laughs> there was a couple of dodgy um, referee decisions in that game. Grant, you know, Thiago Alcantara, yeah, because Alcantara he you need to say off. otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I should. So like, uh, the, um, so here's the tweet. Uh, simply put, this that refs a massive cunt. <laughs> Now, that, that's it. I mean, that's what a fan would say. You know, like um, Liam Gallagher, who if you look at his Twitter account, you obviously got a lot of people following him. He's following zero people <laughs> because Liam ain't going to follow anybody. <laughs> so that was his comment. And obviously that comes all the way back to, to Elon and buying Twitter. Twitter's a big part of the football experience now. And um, you're right, Grant, that was a wonderful night's entertainment. And and hats off to Guardiola, to Klopp, and both sets of players. They're taking the game to a completely new level. Yeah, no, they really have. Well, what else have you got from us? I've got one more, but I'm going to save that. What, it's only a short one, but what else have you got? I feel like I've monopolised this conversation today. No, no, I feel that. I've monopolised it, um, uh, but you've taken me into a, a happier place than I was at the start. Uh, so, uh, as you say, I'm a natural own goal guy. So, uh, I'm going to throw, uh, I'm going to throw a couple of things to get to, to to put the dampener on us again. I saw a story in ESPN about the the owner of the Brooklyn Nets. Do you know you know who owns the Brooklyn Nets? Uh, I do, but it escapes me. It's right a now. guy that owns Alibaba. A guy That's called right. Joe Tsai. That's right. Yeah, so Joe Tsai um, uh, is somebody who is very funny, this, because the, the article is very well written. I wanted a couple of comments out of this, quoting now. He donates hundreds of millions of dollars to combat racism and discrimination in America. However, however, in China, he supports companies blacklisted by the U.S. government for supporting a campaign of repression, mass arbitrary detention and high tech surveillance through state of the art racial profiling. Uh, Tsai has publicly defended some of China's most controversial policies. He described the government's brutal crackdown on dissent as, quotes, necessary to promote economic growth, defended a law used to imprison scores of pro-democracy activists, blah, 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 blah. Uh, then it goes on to talk about, uh, obviously, uh, Moray uh, and, and what we talked about, the, the half-pregnant morality. This is another one. This is another one, Grant. Before I ask you to comment on that, I, I need to come back to... You know, a couple of other examples I've got. Uh, Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, who um, I think in the last month was not taken to prosecution um, because the prosecutor felt he didn't have a case. Deshaun Watson is an NFL player, quite a high-profile one, that has been accused by a, a myriad of women for sexual abuse. Um, I don't think it's rape, but it's, it's not short of it. Maybe it is, I don't know. And, you know... No problems with any of that uh, in the NFL. He's been traded recently to the Cleveland Browns. No issue whatsoever with that kind of perp sheet. And you just need to put that in comparison with uh, Colin Kaepernick, who has clearly been blackballed for, for something that <laughs> you would say is, uh, is a merit rather than a demerit. And, and then I'll close with this. Uh, Flores, Brian Flores, uh, who accused the Dolphins the coach, of yeah, racism yeah. and also... And also accused them of um, losing games to get Joe Burrows on the draft pick. He has been joined by two other coaches now. Two other coaches, Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton, are backing him up on the NFL racism uh, claims. So, you know, I just look at all of this and, it, and it's what I said about Benzema. People cherry pick morality. Uh, and if you look around, all around Grant, and I've just quoted three from recent times, it is an ocean of stinking hypocrisy and it's very depressing yeah I mean, look i mean marketing people can sell good stories and so that's what happens for us right you you accentuate the positive and you build marketing campaigns around it and you can get that news out there really fast and and, it, and this does this ties us perfectly back to elon um it's what he does right it's exactly what he does he he gets positive stories out there deliberately to bury negative stories and his reach and the, the, the breadth of his supporters on social media is such that they will share these things all over the place. And it's very effective in burying, in, in burying bad news, whether it's from Elon's perspective or it's from Benzema or it's from 
you know, the NFL. Social media gives you the ability to create shareable content that paints a rosy picture and you use the right channels, you can. You can absolutely bury the negative story long enough for the news cycle to move on and, and people don't see it and it doesn't I get, get that the coverage grant. it deserves. I, I get that, Grant. But I, I don't like the, the people who are on Twitter or, or commentating in general and they take all this moral high ground on an, on a kind of like, as I say, cherry-picked basis. You, you can't do that. You, you either have to go all in as a journalist who's going to do nothing but uncovering something like Andrew Jennings with FIFA's whole career or something like that. Or, you know, anytime you want to pick up something, you need to mention everything else. And And that's the thing that gets me. It's not the fact that there's bad guys around and that they cover things up. It's that what I would expect from certain commentators that have got a brain that are not able to realise how wide the, 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 the hypocrisy is and, and that they should do a little bit better job on picking on some people as opposed to others. Yeah, I've got no comeback on that, Rog. I, I, I can't disagree with a word of it, sadly. I wish I could. I like disagreeing with you, but on this subject, <laughs> we're in alignment. Well, listen, my, my last one is... Um, a guy called Drew Holiday. Now, I don't know if you know Drew Holiday. There's no reason you should unless you're an NBA fan. I don't think. Uh, Drew Holiday, we're, we're getting to the pointy end of the NBA season. There was basically one game left in the season. His team uh, qualified for the playoffs. And um, he has a stipulation in his contract that he needs to play 67 games out of an 82-game season to secure a bonus of, uh, I think, somewhere between three and 400000 US dollars. So 82nd game of the season, he's in the starting lineup. They tip off. The, uh, the ball goes to the opposing team's point guard. Drew Holiday wraps his arms around his waist, fouls him. Uh, eight seconds into the game, the ref blows the whistle. The coach subs out Drew Holiday and he sits on the bench for the rest of the game. So he plays eight seconds, earns a bonus of just shy of half a million bucks. Uh, and as he fouled the opposing player... The opposing player had a big smile on his face. You know, they all knew. It was, this was, whole thing was stage money. We're going to tip off. I'm going to foul the first player. Thanks, fellas. I'm going to sit down and collect my check. It was just, uh, let's, call it, let's call it capitalism at its best, Rog, and, and leave it at that, shall we? But it was just, it was just a, a remarkable wink-wink, nudge-nudge. I'm going to get paid here for eight seconds' work, and uh, everyone's fine about it. Right. Um, I'm just trying to work out a little bit um... – what what you're saying about this? Uh, no, no, I, do, I just what, what no, Rog, it was yeah. just it was. I passed no opinion on it. I just thought it was an amusing eight seconds vignette to go out, get suited up when you know you're going to sit on the bench the whole game, play the eight seconds, commit the foul, sit down, take a bow, collect your check, and then just sit back the rest of the game and watch. Yeah, and but just, I, unless um, unless things have changed, I think this happens quite regularly, and certainly in soccer and football. And it's one of the ways that a coach has got to kind of like manage his marginal players. You know, they'll, you know, like how many times you see a substitution in the last dying embers of a game? There's imp there's appearance money bonuses for yeah. for that kind of thing happening. Those are gifts. Th those are gifts to guys and say, look, I'm going to put you on, mate. Go and take your wife out. Uh, it's it's just a way. It's always happened, Grant. No, you know, that's right. But like, listen, you, you can take your wife out for a nice meal on four hundred grand, Rog. <laughs> so we're all we're only arguing about the quantum here, not the principle. What was no, no, the, no, the, 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 right. the, the principle was well set. <laughs> but I just I, I what was, was watching the Winston it. Churchill thing. A... You'll know this. What's the Winston Churchill thing? Uh, 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 he says to this woman, he says, um, "Would you ever sleep with somebody for a hundred sovereigns in those days?" Uh, and she says, uh, "Of course not. Of course not. Who do you think I am? Uh, would you ever sleep with some for somebody for a million? And she says, "Well." And and the punchline is Winston Churchill. It's like, uh, "Well, so we've established what you are. All we're arguing about is the market rate." <laughs> Some, something like that. He's much more elegant than I'll look it up. But it's. it's just <laughs> I'm familiar. I'm familiar with the quote. I'm familiar with the quote, but I thought I'd let you get it out. It sounds so much better in a Scottish accent, Roger, as all things do. Yeah. But yeah, no, I just, I, I watched I watched those eight seconds with just a, a wry smile on my face. I thought the whole thing was just, Good it was for just him. amusing. Good for him. Everybody else is on the take. He might as well get his dosh as well. I'm sure he's been a good lad. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, listen, mate, we've come to the end of another. No, uh, but let's talk, let's, let's well, end got... with a couple of uh, ones. I've got, I, I want to talk about his seven year anniversary of the Kasimi goal. 
Your man's ah, goal. Ah, yes, 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 yes. I was, I was, I wasn't going to let it go away from Good Friday without mentioning that. I saw it again because it came up. Were you at that game? Because that I was, was not at that game. extra. No, I wasn't at that game. Man, it was, what a goal. Man, oh man. So like, you know, wherever he is, Kasami, um, we're remembering you on this day. You didn't yeah. do very much in your career, but he, that goal. He did not, but that goal, man, yeah. That goal, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an all world of that goal, you have to say. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the last one, uh, because we're in Italy, uh, somebody who did do a little bit with his career, uh, did you see Francesco Totti playing what, in the, the, five in the side six sides? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they could, they could have put six on one team and him on the other, I think he'd still have won. And the commentator just going into like ecstasy because, you know, like those were the golden years for Roma. And like you can, you can just think, you know, like I just like always love thinking about the backstory there. So like you, you're there and Totti's playing with them tonight. You know, it, you wouldn't be expecting it, would you? Totti's with them tonight. You know, like they've got a ringer. <laughs> Let's yeah. see if he's any good or not. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah. He's, so that's uh, how I wanted to finish it. He's a special talent, a special talent. Well, matey, uh, it's time to say our goodbyes I think um, our thanks to you out there for listening uh, we always appreciate you listening in if you don't follow us already on Twitter shame on you frankly you should do by now uh, you'll find us at entertained R that's the word A-R-E you will find me uh, no shame in not following me I would hasten to add uh, at T-T-M-Y-G-H yeah, well 60,000 was that 60,000 100,000 people do follow you uh, so uh, that's very modest of you Grant and um, uh, nobody follows me, but if you want to, you can um, be one of the few at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. Rog, always a fun hour, my friend. We'll do it again soon. Yes, we will. Perfect. Have a great Easter. Easter.